Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome to Queer Air. I'm Kate, and my co-host is Carol. We're going to explore a feminist lesbian broadcast from the 1970s that aired on Crab FM here in Seattle. It's recently been digitized through a grant at the University of Washington Library's Special Collections. We're excited for you to join us as we move through the content of our queer elders. You'll be hearing from us, some people who are familiar with the content, and possibly some contemporary scholars. But you'll also be hearing from the original broadcast. We'll analyze their commentary to see what has changed, if anything. So get ready to breathe some queer air. It was a it was a given that we needed to put our all into getting this collection ready um, for researchers to access, which is why it isn't enough just to stop here. And I think that was one of the things when you, Anna, um, had finished your transcriptions, which really are like timestamps. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're key, they're keywords. Yeah, they're not full. No, they're not full transcripts. There's a few that are yeah. verbatim, but most of them are just getting the essential mm-hmm. topics and um, guests and yeah, I, I events. Focused, that I focused they, on events, people, um, time, if I could... If they said Wednesday, I wrote down Wednesday, like just really trying to get the time. The yeah. music the music was very important to me. Mm-hmm. So when you finished that and had to leave for your physician that My you're in today, your new job, I just said, okay, now it's basically the beginning of this collection. Like we had done, you know, a, several years of work and you had done dozens mm-hmm. and dozens of hours of work. But it really feels like the collection is just beginning now. Mm-hmm. We don't know a lot about the episodes. We don't know a lot about the people. We don't even know in what order these things mm-hmm. were. And they're just in in the finding aid. They're in the collection guide listed haphazardly, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think in box order. Oh, in box, box mm-hmm. order, whatever that was. Yeah. Right. So there is so much work to be done. There's so much discovery um, and doing a podcast like this and talking about these episodes and meeting some of the people, which you're going to be able to do, mm-hmm. um, is, it's just the beginning of the work. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not ours. I mean, it, it belongs to the University of Washington now, the actual physical items, but the intellectual content is it's it's really up to anybody who is, experiences it and and wants to put time into it to really suss it out and and figure out what it's really about. Mm-hmm. Um, and this podcast is gonna it's just one way mm-hmm. not uh, to to bring people into this collection um, and um, get people started on exploring it and helping us learn more about it and enhance our finding aid. And also help the people of that era learn more about themselves through the perspectives of other generations looking back at them. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, 
that's a neat role that you guys in your generation get to play. Mm -hmm. Do you think you would have gotten, like, do you think the experience of trying to preserve this collection would have been different if it was 10, 15, 20 years ago? It turned, talking about physically or content-wise? Not not so much physically, but, like, whether you would have received any pushback, whether it would have been welcomed, encouraged. I think it would have been hard because it's the same as... The, um, what was the collection we were talking about? The Gay and Lesbian History Museum mm. yeah. Project Oral History mm. Collection. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah, that's that a mouthful. That was impressive. That was impressive. That, uh, and Northwest is in yeah. there too. I think yeah. it actually starts <laughs> with Northwest. That collection was, it was an oral history project that was done in the 90s in communities. So that was done by the gay and lesbian community. Um, And that was held in that community until just five years ago when people, Ruth Pettis being one. So it's the Northwest Lesbian and Gay History Museum Museum. Project Oral Histories oral history of some kind. When she started making this realization that enough time had passed and we had progressed as, as a society enough to, that it w- w- wasn't dangerous for people's stories to come out mm-hmm. um, in the form of oral histories and actually mm-hmm. end up in repositories where researchers might um, encounter them. Mm-hmm. And the people who had done those recordings, who had participated in those oral histories, enough of them were still around um, to actually go back and sign release forms for them to actually be deposited um, with all the paperwork that we need to maybe even put them online or to let researchers use them um, and, and reproduce them for their own product or programs or projects. And I think when people from that community came to us at the University of Washington with that sentiment, with that feeling, by their own initiative and said, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, mm-hmm. we weren't ready to do this, and, and now we feel like this is the best place for them. And as a matter of fact, after the 2016 election, I had a lot of people knocking on my door, calling, emailing, and saying, like, these need to be in the archive. They need to be part of a public record. Yeah. This is the time. This we might, you know, our world might change yeah. so much that, you know, it, there was a panic. It's, I think it's a really fascinating point because I think there's a lot of people who maybe aren't either aware or members of the queer community, so they don't think about how inherently dangerous it is to share their personal stories, especially on air in the public. Mm-hmm. With public access to it, it's just like, oh, these are you know whatever, mm-hmm. oral histories. That's not dangerous, mm-hmm. but there's like inherent. There's such a high risk of violence, and bodily harm. Yeah, that I think not everyone thinks about all of the time. Well, the yeah. power of storytelling in itself is it frightens people. Mm-hmm. I think um, stories have such a grip on society. That, that it's like people fear what they don't understand and 
even through the power of storytelling, there's still like, I, I can't, I don't, I don't want to know what I don't know. And then when somebody tells you a story, it has the opportunity to flip everything that you know on its head. Mm-hmm. And then it, it could change your, enti- your entire worldview. God and people, forbid. yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't that's, want that. That's scary. Yeah. So I guess uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there would have been a... Would have hesitated a little bit. It wouldn't have been like absolutely. We have to preserve the not not preserve them. Of course, we've always been in the preservation game. Yeah, we've never not want to preserve something, but to aggressively go after a grant and a to grant and, yeah, yeah, make them project, not just store them, and encourage podcasts and mm-hmm. um, who knows what else. <laughs> like I said, it's just the beginning yeah. of this collection. I don't really conceive of it as being such a pivotal thing to do, but to just live openly and oh. proudly is so, yeah, such a big deal. I mean, it's an act of resistance in yeah. itself. Yeah. Even now, but especially, you know, then. Then. Yeah. Then it could kill you. Yeah. Then being a woman could kill you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, feminism, when mm-hmm. your, your husband was allowed to rape you mm-hmm. and it, you couldn't do anything about it. And they, there was a big um, movement to support women in prison who had um, killed their husbands in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a couple of shows, I think, in here. And that is something that you can find online, too. I started doing some research into that. It's a very dark hole, mm-hmm. but it's there. And there, were, there was a big case here with, I think, a Native American woman who was incarcerated because her husband raped her and she fought back mm-hmm. and um, I believe that they they got her they got her out mm-hmm. um, legal f- you know they would request people send in dollars mm-hmm. for legal fees and yeah so. is that covered in these yes I have some of that in that's you yeah. do yeah I think wow. it's in my research notes and I highlighted the case I do want to touch a little bit on, like, how you see um, a podcast maybe sparking new ways of accessibility mm-hmm. uh, with special collections and drawing attention to special collections when it has such a, not a negative connotation, but definitely, like, a... It's very specific. ...hands-off mm-hmm. kind of feeling, especially in, like, the university. Lots of people don't know where Special Collections is, or whether they can use it. And there's a lot of misconceptions. And I'm just wondering, because of, like, 2020 and podcasts being kind of the the medium of choice right now, uh, if you see that. Yeah, I do, because I think of all the different ways that librarians have tried to get information out about how to use library resources, um, that library resources aren't just books on a shelf Mm -hmm. um that really information we're in the information game Mm -hmm. we'll 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 use all the resources and when I first became a librarian I think it was it was all about the website (laughs) right yeah it was all about the website I mean you know because we were using card catalogs it was before you know when I worked in libraries in college it was 
you know, you still have to look things up in the card catalog. And then when... <laughs> and I don't know what that's like. <laughs> and then where I loved it. Me too. <laughs> Little scraps of paper. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> and then when the library catalog was automated and things could be searched, you know, online or in a catalog, it wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. online, but... Um, that soon gave way to the fact that we could make our own websites that people would visit. So we could basically say whatever you wanted yeah. on your website. Organize the information in ways that... Was engaging. Was engaging, that yeah. your students were used to seeing. Right. Always trying to think of, you know, who, who's going to use this? How are they going to find it? And all the different generations of people that you're trying to appeal to and, and get the information out to. And then it was blogs. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so that was after website, it was blogs. And then after blogs, it was social media. So mm -hmm. it was first Twitter and Facebook, which never really worked for, for libraries. libraries. No. Not really. I think librarians and Twitter are just They're, a great combination because yeah. it's that kind of quick adept thing that can happen mm -hmm. that librarians are good at hashtags. <laughs> And then Instagram, I think I thought of Instagram as being so important for special collections because mm -hmm. of the visual component yeah. of, you know, photos and archival material, um, but so time consuming. And then there's the rights issues often, yeah. reproducing other people's things that we might not actually have the rights to and mm -hmm. how sensitive we are to that. But podcasts was just a given for me for this collection because just because, what a treasure. And and because the recordings were so high quality, it wouldn't yeah. be like playing some fuzzy, mm -hmm. you know, recording. They're really high quality. Um, so I think from a library perspective, that's, librarian perspective, that's why I, I think we're always trying new ways to, to yeah. help people understand what it is we we have and how people use it. How people find our material is becoming easier and easier because many of our catalog entries, I guess, our finding aids, our collection descriptions, and then the digital content that we put up, it's crawled. It's yeah. crawled, so it, it, it gets picked up in search engines and, mm -hmm. and in searches. Um, but then when people encounter it mm -hmm. as a one item mm -hmm. <laughs> not connected to like a library but they just land on it mm -hmm. what 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 do they do how do they experience it what what do they understand of this item and yeah. is it part of a collection is that does that collection have a creator is the creator's story or the organization's story available to the person who experiences it? I mean is the context there mm -hmm. that's always the the question with archives we we think of the item as being very important but the context in which it was created and the rest of the material that's with it as giving it its true meaning that it's not just an item in isolation mm -hmm. it's part of this whole and um, it has a history um, that's going to tell more um, about, it's going to reveal the truth a lot more than just listening to the one thing in isolation. Mm -hmm. And a podcast can really help suss that out. Mm -hmm. And um, But I mean, even from listening to your 
last episode, which was your intro, and the conversations that you guys have in your generation separate from ours, the language that you use, mm-hmm. um, the terms that you use, the way you speak about your own identities and in ways that people from this generation just didn't have mm-hmm. um, access to. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. There's like this immediate contrast and yet so many similarities right. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exciting to hear these voices from the 70s and then your voices here. Um, and you're going to be able uh, to meet Geraldine Cole mm-hmm. in a, one of your next episodes. Mm-hmm. And she was the founder of the um, National Mother... Le- Lesbian Mothers Defense Fund. Oh. I was going to say against drunk driving again. <laughs> I know, I always say that. National Lesbian, Lesbian Mothers Defense Fund, Fund, which not against drunk driving, <laughs> although I'm sure they are. I mean, they could. I don't know. Which she, you know, and I, I brought those papers in, so I met her in her home and had a conversation with her. Cass Hartnett and I went and visited her, and she told us the story of, and it. Just her, um, her, her boldness about her, her topic of the day and, and what she did. She's called it a national fund. Mm-hmm. She was here in Seattle and she had no money. Oh. <laughs> she didn't have a national network and she didn't have a fund, but she named it and she knew what she wanted to do with it and, mm-hmm. and. I just loved it. And so you're going to be able to talk with her. And she's, you know, she's recorded here. Cool. Yeah. And I think when I tell, when I contacted her to tell her that, number one, she, we have a recording of her on Crab FM. She remembered that she was on Crab FM. That's so cool. And I sent her the recording and she wrote back and said she hadn't yet gotten up enough nerve to listen (laughs) to it yet, but she was going to. (laughs) So that's going to be interesting. <coughs> Are there any other connections like that with the materials that you know of? That was the first one that jumped out at me. That was the first one I pursued. Yeah. This podcast is going to go on for years. Let me tell <laughs> There's you. There's enough material for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking it slow here. So, but that was the one that jumped out at me yeah. and I pursued it and it was successful. There was one tape, the only tape that I could get to work on the reel to reel that didn't break. It was the longest ballad. Oh. Ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. I probably just skipped forward on that. Lori, I couldn't even I believe. And I kept forwarding, 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 turned back on. And she was. Still, like another verse oh. of the ballad. Another verse. <laughs> I like, wonder who that how was. How long is this ballad? And it was, I mean, it was a festival. They were recording at a festival because it wasn't a, it wasn't a studio right. um, recording. So they went, or they had some of some of these tapes were actually from festivals. Yeah, from festivals, and I think. I think some of those tapes were given to them by other people. I don't think that they did travel to some of them, but I felt um, like some tapes were brought to them. Um, wow. And then they also had the the coffee club. 
the coffee mm-hmm. the coffee coven coffee coven yeah which is like an amazing name it is it really, so good it is so good as soon as i heard it i was like yo like my vibe <laughs> that's when they were talking about the issues of making money off of other lesbians mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's where alex dobkin said no male children at my show mm-hmm. was there which i find that the issue of making money off of other lesbians is really interesting because i feel like the attitude now is you should wholeheartedly be supporting like supporting your own community yeah, yeah. by like supporting monetarily yeah mm-hmm. queer artists queer makers queer whatever it is yeah so to see it like no don't make any money and now it's like please right please well it was money. like their their argument was more about like they only have so much time and so much money. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are you going to give mm-hmm. to people? Mm-hmm. And for them, it was like, we should be giving our time. We should not be giving our money. Mm-hmm. And then other people, they were like, well, time is money. And then that got into the whole, like, capitalism <laughs> and what does that mean for us and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because, like, in the coffee coven specifically, like, lesbians would go and volunteer their mm-hmm. time at the coffee mm-hmm. shop. Mm-hmm. And then everyone was like, well, we should be paying them for that. Yeah. Like, they shouldn't have to be giving their time. And then then it's like, where does the where do you draw a line between, like, a project? Because they called the coffee coven a project. Mm-hmm. And when do you start becoming, like, consumers mm-hmm. and becoming capitalistic when you're then like, now I have to give you money for helping me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's yeah. really complicated. It's really complicated. Yeah. I'm also, like, really interested with the, the very anti-male mm-hmm. perspective. I, I was expecting a little bit of, of that, but I was not expecting to be so wholeheartedly get out of here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, make, it does make sense, but it's a very interesting. It makes sense. It's a little harder to feel the feelings from that time period, but... I went to school with some really radical feminists, and I definitely did not fit in with them. And I was, I always thought my, always thought of myself as a radical feminist, but I just wasn't. I couldn't say no to my father and my brother and my uncle. Like I love mm-hmm. them. I wasn't gonna cut them out of my life, and they had cut all men out of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it really was like a big. It was, it was a true separatist. True. It was truly separatist, yeah. I honestly felt like it was very troubling for me to listen to one of the episodes where they're talking about motherhood and lesbianism, and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I have a male child. Yes, I know. That was... And I was just kind of like, what do you mean, what are you going to do? Like, (laughs) like, he's your child. Like, I don't understand what that means to you. And it was like this whole philosophical conversation of like they're having a child without a man so then like the only logical explanation is to give the male child to the man but then i was like but then you, all you're doing is the same the perpetuating the, pa- the patriarchy by allowing a man to indoctrinate another man right but like they never talk about it like that it's more yeah. about like what is that gonna what is his presence going to do to me and my my female community yeah. my mm-hmm. all women community yeah it's 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 a, radical it's radical it's a conundrum and i mm-hmm. think that's where they really came up against it in so many ways it went from animal oppression to plant oppression to being separatist to having male children and what do you do with those issues that just 
you can't resolve no, they're irreconcilable no and I think that that's where a lot of the burnout came from mm -hmm. really I mean I think it was one of the tapes that may, again may have been something I read online where somebody said I've been doing this for seven years I'm exhausted I'm broke I gotta go make some money mm -hmm. which meant I gotta go work for the man because mm -hmm. there weren't really many women running businesses at the time yeah that's true in Seattle yeah. <laughs> you know like up here yeah right so mm -hmm. that you know and they talked the the is the city country country city skits have you listened to those mm -hmm. those are good to listen to mm -hmm. because they are they're creating skits out of these they're so they're talking about these things and they're talking about when lesbians move to the country they are avoiding their politics and they are stepping away from project work because they're isolating themselves in the country. Mm -hmm. the, but the city lesbians want to be in the country because they want to be making their own food and shearing their own sheep and building their own homes and being self-sufficient in, in women's community. And then there are the women who are in the country who are we want to move to the city, we want to be where everything's happening, we want to get projects done, we want to really like be visible with our politics. You know, it's like, we, we can't do it out here. Like, there's just not enough resources. You know? And so it's this really interesting play on both. And they really go deep into it. That's one thing that would be just incredible is to get the actual written scripts and the notes of that. You can hear them shuffling papers around. I know they were writing this stuff down. They wrote this stuff out because some of it is really scripted. Wow. And there, we, there are like three or four pieces of paper that show like the times on the tapes and there were notes. Mm -hmm. So Shan's got to have files. There've got to be files someplace. It hurts my heart. I want to know where they are. I want to get in them and look at them and make copies. Because I think that that is an additional wealth of information about how they put this together right. and all of the research that they did. Right. I mean, when you researched back in those days, you had to, like, write it down. It was mm -hmm. yellow pads and right. typewriters and yep. lots of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Mm -hmm. Or, like, the journals. Like, they often yeah. read from journals. They read from their journals. Yeah, yeah their like poetry. I can't, I can't even imagine what was, like, housed in just one journal alone. Because, yeah. like, often they're just reading, like, one one entry so it's like you know a paragraph maybe but it's just it was for me every time someone was like well this is something from my journal and I was like oh spicy like, I find <laughs> journals to be like very personal so I'm like okay wow all right sharing on air what you write in your personal journal mm -hmm. at home like you're willing to read this on air and like what else is in there what's housed in those pages what aren't you reading yeah, yeah what aren't you reading but that was, that was what I loved. I mean, not but, but and. That's what I love about these. These shows were very intimate. Oh, they were. To the music that they chose. They were very intimate. The conversations mm -hmm. that they had, the things of themselves that they revealed, is just, mm -hmm. it's astounding. And I, I hope that you get some of that intimacy in the next people that you interview. Mm -hmm. Not just the people who were involved in this, but current queer voices mm -hmm. and what they're going through mm -hmm. and the similarities and differences between the time. It is 50 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God. and I think you <laughs> selected an episode or two to, like, for example, you're going to be interviewing Abby, mm -hmm. um, who's a current 20-something um, graduate student 
um, did you select an episode or two for her to listen to? Not to? No. Yeah, we definitely want to. Yeah. Because her interview isn't for a while. Yeah. yeah. Is that kind of what you meant? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think to get people's reaction to it. I think that'll also really help inform how people will access this. I feel like there might be some nuggets in there. If you if you send some of these out to people and they listen to them mm -hmm. and then you get to talk to them about it, it may oh, it may identify in some avenues of interest, like where. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If somebody's searching for something online, how this comes up and if they would Say, oh yeah, that looks good. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna look into that. Yeah. Primary source, but not everybody talks in primary source, right? right? Out in the world. <laughs> Even I was showing my partner, who is a straight cis man, this last night, and he was like, oh, I want to know all about the split. He's like, I can't wait to hear all about. He was very excited about just like the the environment and the culture, and it's like totally not his community. Mm -hmm. But he's like, I want to know what's next. And he's not like a library person. He's not an archives person. It's a compelling story. Yeah. And the, um, as we mentioned before, just the fact that they were there at that time, they made a space for themselves mm -hmm. at Crab FM, which mm -hmm. was not a female environment. And they had a fight um, for it. They had a fight for it. They... Spilled their guts, yeah. I want to say online, but on air, oh, um, to their own community. We don't know how big of a geographical reach it was. Maybe Chuck knows. I would bet he does, and um, because I think it says in the archive how many watts it was, the mm -hmm. radio station. Which means, like, how far mm -hmm. beyond Seattle, or was it even... Did it make it over all the hills in Seattle? It's, I would want to know that. Could the lesbians in Bellingham hear this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Bellevue. Even Bellevue. Or Bellevue. Yeah. Or exactly. Belltown. <laughs> and then the, the only way they knew there was going to be a program at a certain time was that the program schedule was printed and mailed in the mail. You had a subscription. Right? You had a subscription, yeah. so you received these the program schedule, but changes could happen at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> it might not actually be what was on the air when right. you tuned in at that particular time. So oftentimes the schedules that were printed didn't actually reflect what was on air. Mm -hmm. And therefore, and you know, how did I get talking about this? I'm not sure. But I think you're, you're onto something because the because of the schedules, the timeline isn't The timeline isn't, yeah. Clear. It's hard for us to really, yeah, it'll yeah. say that a show was broadcast on a certain date, and then you'll be like, oh, we have that schedule. And then you go and you look at it, it's like, oh, it doesn't actually match up. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And I think, I don't know how, printing was, it. you had to have a longer time to print and mail, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there were many, many shows where they weren't even, they hadn't booked who they no, were. No, just spontaneous. Somebody yeah. stopped in. Yeah. yeah. One of you said something really funny in the intro, which I have to bring up, because you said something about learning from your ancestors. But if you're talking about these tapes, we're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we're your ancestors yet. I think we're your elders. 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 <laughs> elders. You're right. 
listening to this episode of Queer Air. Be sure to check out our podcast website, which will be linked in the description. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, and feel free to share with a friend. Our next episode will include some clips from the original Crab FM recordings, and we'll also be speaking to a fellow queer pal, library worker, and dear friend, Abby. Keep on breathing that queer air. <laughs> <laughs>